Hi, what's up? It's Aiden Jones here, and you are listening to Sitting Under a Tree for Tuesday, the 5th of October, 2021. How are you? Well, I hope you are good. (laughs) How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? New character of mine, emotionless man. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I am Aiden Jones. How does it feel to feel? Today, we ask the question... (laughs) (laughs) What are emotions? Trap. (laughs) They are trap. (laughs) Today we talk about how to free ourselves from the trap of emotion. First step, gun. (laughs) Nah, it's good. It's good stuff. Hope you guys are good. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And thank you for listening to... uh, It's really just going to be today, we're just trying to have a little bit of fun on the podcast, going to talk about a few things and, uh, you know, maybe just aid each other in understanding this (laughs) crazy little thing called life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I've had a nice day. Um, I, uh, I, today I'm going to talk about uh, the book and the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, but first, I got a few. I, I got a thing. I got a little story that I want to tell first. After I have a sip of tea. Oh, that is very good. Very good. We love it. I work today. And doing my little little movies, little removal boy. I worked with this guy who, uh, it was a long drive. We went to Ballarat and back, just the one move. But a long drive, I was driving the whole time. I was like, fuck you, dude, I'm driving. Um, I didn't say that at all. I was just like, hey, man, I'd prefer to drive. And he was like, I understand and I accept that preference. <laughs> um this guy I worked with just seemed, uh, and I don't want to say too much, like or just or like pass judgment on him unfairly. So uh, I just I, he felt like he was like maybe a little bit lost, and we're around the same age. Um, and I guess it feels kind of presumptuous of me to say that someone else was lost, like as if I know what the fuck I'm doing in my life. But uh, I don't know. It's just yeah, it just. I got the vibe through the day that um, maybe he was still trying to figure some stuff out um, about himself and, uh, you know, just like maybe a little bit lonely, I guess. But, uh, you know, it was a good day. We did the work well. We talked a lot. We had uh, some similar things about our personal lives that we kind of were connecting over. Well, the mic just disconnected. That's not a good start. Anyway, I'll I'll fucking get back into it. Uh, We had a few things that we were connecting over and I was trying to do the thing that I was talking about a few weeks ago where I'm like just trying to listen to people and not jump in with my thoughts or react to the things that they say. Just listen and be curious about what they're saying. And um, yeah, I just felt good about how I was doing that, I guess. But anyway, towards the end of the day, we uh, we talked about the vaccine and 
you know, I asked him if he was vaccinated and he said he wasn't yet. He had his first appointment and I just was like, oh, that's, you know, took your time. And he was like, yeah, you know, just like, yeah, not really sure about that and everything. And and uh, I, I don't want to lie and say that I like controlled my anger. I actually didn't really feel that angry. I kind of understood. I wasn't that surprised based on just a few of the things that he had said through the day, I guess, that he would have that kind of, you know, belief or whatever. Um, but I, I, I just like went in on it a bit and I asked him and he gave, you know, a few reasons he was talking about autonomy, bodily autonomy. And he was talking about, uh, how he was angry at the government and, and not getting the vaccine was his way of protesting against the government. And all these reasons, you know, as he said them, he kind of started backpedaling and was basically admitting that it was kind of silly, all these reasons that he had, but he just you know, for a long time, didn't want to get the vaccine, hadn't gotten it. And um, this last week or when uh, recently in therapy, maybe it was, yeah, just before I moved, I uh, had this moment in therapy where I was able to hold the anxiety of challenging someone. I was able to hold that anxiety inside of myself rather than acting on it or trying to get rid of it and sitting in it. And so I said to this guy, like, look, man, you know, I understand that that's your choice. I want you to know that by not getting the vaccine, um, I just well, – there, there have been times during this lockdown especially and, like, I feel better about lockdown at the moment. I feel like I just – I've accepted it. It's something that I can't control. I've done everything that I can by getting vaccinated as soon as I can and I'm at a really good place with it now where it's like – I can't change what's happening. It is happening. The best that I can do is I can control my reactions to it. Um, so I'm not so angry day to day right now as I was like two, three months ago. But I said to this guy, you know, a few months ago, I was in this place where I was just really angry at anyone who hadn't got the vaccine. And, and I still am kind of frustrated with these attitudes and people where it's like, I'm not going to get it. Why should I have to get it? Because I just think it's really selfish. I said that to him. I think it's really selfish of you to not get it because all the information's out there. You know, there are people that are smarter than us. You don't need to do your own research. Other people have done the research. They've got, they've studied this stuff. They've got degrees. We don't need to do it. It's all there. You know, vaccines are real. They work. There's a clear strategy. So to not get it, I think is really selfish, but I don't think that you're a bad dude. I don't think you're a piece of shit. I don't hate you. I understand you've made this decision, but I just want you to know that I think that that's really selfish. And we kept talking about it, you know, and, and we had a, a, like it didn't ruin the day. He didn't get angry to his credit um, and to my credit, I didn't get angry and we just kind of had this discussion about it and, he, you know, I asked him what was the thing that made him get the vaccine eventually and it was the place where we work. I mean, obviously now in Victoria, there's there's a deadline that where you have to have had your first vaccine by like the 16th of October or some shit. But even before that, our workplace had said that if you don't have it eventually and you're not, you don't have plans to get it, you're not going to be able to continue working at Man With A Van. Oops, I shouldn't say the now. Oh, fuck, whatever. It's all on my Instagram. Everyone knows where I work. Um, 
<laughs> well, last time he got fired, Aiden, you're going to get fired from your job again? <laughs> I, I, I hope I don't. No, I mean, I haven't said it. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm so bad at <laughs> just keeping my private life private, aren't I? <laughs> but anyway, so... Yeah, that's what he said that was the reason was he didn't want to lose the job. And we talked about, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, about how the we are free to do what we want as individuals. And, and you know, this like society that we live in and our kind of political ideas around liberalism and, and individual freedoms, that our society is kind of set up to protect individual freedoms and our freedoms as individuals um as long as we're not doing harm to people we can do whatever we want that's the idea um but the best thing about life is that we can connect with people right that's what's that's what gives life meaning is connections with other people and love and family and community and all of that but to have a connection with someone else, you have to give up some of your individual freedom. You can't be a completely free person. A free person is a hermit living in the fucking forest, eating fish and berries, you know, with a hairy back, no one to shave it. <laughs> what are you going to do, mate? Go out and live in the forest and no one's going to shave your back? Or are you going to live in a community? And get a job and have money and you can pay someone to shave your back. Or if you're smart, you can find someone who loves you, get them to shave your back. You don't have to pay them anything. (laughs) Or you can lie to people and tell them that you love them when you don't. And then they shave your back and then you leave. (laughs) Either way, these are your choices. Or you go live out in the forest, have a hairy back, have dags on your back. Like when sheep, you know, sheep. When they shit and they can't wipe their asses and no one's going to do it for them because sheep don't know about love. And so they have shit caught in their fucking hair and wool hanging off of their butt. You want to be that guy? Do you want to be a daggy ass sheep or do you want to open your heart up and and have a clean back? <laughs> but when you do that, you make sacrifices. Maybe you've got to clean someone else's back. Maybe you've got to wipe the shit off of their butt or whatever your sacrifices look like. You need to make sacrifices. You need to give up some of your individual freedoms if you're going to get the benefits of of living in a community or having a family or friends or just anywhere, you know, but having, be, having a relationship with someone requires some sort of compromise and... Uh, and so I think, you know, this guy or any fucking person, I was about to say idiot, not idiot, person, anyone who is talking about autonomy, bodily autonomy and all of these things and individual freedoms in the context of not getting the vaccine, well, yeah, okay, sure, but you've got to think about what are you taking from this society that we live in? Because you live in a society. If you have a bank account and you have a house and a job, you live in a society and you... I'm sorry, need to make some sort of concessions to your individual liberty if you're going to live in the society. And one of those concessions that we've agreed upon is you're going to need to get the vaccine. And I said to the guy at the end of the day, I'm really glad that you're getting the vaccine, man. I'm really glad that you're working here 
And uh, it was a pleasure working with you and I, I hope to see you soon. And I just, I, it is, and, you know, I'm glad that the dude, he, he it, I asked him, what, what are you sacrificing? What was the sacrifice that you've made? And he said to have this job, you know, and I, uh, I really liked that because that was a thing that I think I was maybe there a few years ago where I thought that I shouldn't have to have a job, that I should just be allowed to be a comedian and do gigs and take, 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 take from the world and not give anything back. And now it's like, you know what? Get a fucking job, man. That's what I said to myself and that's what I wanted to say to that guy, but I didn't say that to him. I just said, good for you, man. Good for you for getting the vaccine and good for you for getting a job. So, yeah, that was a nice moment that I had today, man, with this guy in the truck, in the truck, two men with vans and backs, no hair. I didn't catch a look at his back. Maybe his <laughs> Maybe his back. Was just horrific. <laughs> Do you ever think about that when you see someone? What's their back like? <laughs> Maybe they got a fucking disgusting back riddled with pimples and acne and hair and fucking gum. <laughs> you don't know. That's what these are the risks you take when you meet a new person. You don't know what their back's like until you go to the beach. You're down the beach in the sun, they take their shirt off. Oh my God. Who's attending to that back, sir? Please put a, put a fucking rash vest on. If you own a rash vest or whatever, what's that called? A rash top? If you go swimming with a top on, man, you need to find someone to love you, all right? And take care of your back or get a job where you can pay someone to fucking take care of your back so you're not ashamed to get that out when you go to the beach because you shouldn't be ashamed. It's your body, man. And if you're swimming with a top on, uh, fuck that you got some shame, brother. And I just want to, <laughs> what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> All right, let's talk about Breakfast at Tiffany's. I read the book last week, Truman Capote. Uh, don't know if you've heard of him. I have. I can't remember in what context. He was friends with uh, the, it was a chick who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I'm not going to look it up because I don't want to interrupt the flow of the podcast, but I think he was. Uh, yeah, I reckon they were friends. Uh, Ken Kesey, that's who wrote One Flew Over the Cookies Nest. That's not a woman. Or did he? Oh, f- oh, am I going to look it up? Yeah. Okay, Google. Who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Is it gonna? You know what? Google fucking assistant was really dicking me today. Oh, my grandma and grandpa just called. Well, I'm gonna call them later. Oh, I gotta find this out. Who flew, who wrote? Oh, God, just I'm talking to my phone now. Oh, oh, this podcast is a fucking absolute nightmare. Who? Oh, now I'm. Just, <laughs> who wrote? One flew over the cuckoo's nest. It was Ken Kesey. Yeah. Look, I don't know who the fuck. I don't know who Truman Capote was friends with, but he was friends with someone, all right? And it was a woman because he was gay. And that's important because uh, I I read Breakfast at Tiffany's, the novella, and I loved it. And so this week I watched 
the uh, the movie as well. And um, all right, the book is about, if you haven't read it, I hadn't even seen the movie. I don't know if a lot of people have seen the movie or what, but evidently it's iconic. It's a huge thing. Audrey Hepburn plays Holly Golightly and she's like a style icon. And from what I can tell just reading now, a lot of people love it not because of the plot or anything they just love it because of the iconic you know figure of style that Audrey Hepburn is she's skinny she's brunette she's got big glasses she drinks coffee she lives in New York here's the blurb for the book Truman Capote's Breakfast at Tiffany's is a brilliant glimmer of the excitement of 40s New York. Holly Golightly, brashly beautiful with a slim black dress, a mysterious past and dark glasses over very coloured eyes, entrances all men she meets, including the young rider living above her, through her recklessness, uh, though her recklessness may yet catch up with her. So the book is basically centered on this character of Holly Golightly, who is I, I, my word enigmatic. That's my word that I own. That was the word that for me most kind of encapsulated who I thought she was. Um, it's written from the first person of the narrator is a writer. I guess it's a fictionalized version of Truman Capote and uh, it's set in the early years of the second world war in New York and he lives in this uh, brownstone apartment building and Holly Golightly lives there as well. She's like 20 or 19 or 21 or something. And she just, she entertains men. She's like a society figure and she's very magnetic. And they have this friendship that is pretty platonic. I mean, nothing is happens or is even hinted at in the book. And because I know that Truman Capote was gay, that was my reading of it. I'm like, well, this is him, so he's gay, so nothing's happening and nothing's going to happen. Like there's no tension. There's no will they, won't they. It's not a romantic friendship that they have. But he loves her and it's stated at the start of the book, I just remembered because I just reread the first little bit that he does love her and the other friend who they're reminiscing about her together at the start of the book, his other friend loves her as well, but it feels like everyone loves her. She's this magnetic person who people are just drawn to um it's also hinted at i didn't know what 50 dollars for the powder room meant but that's a phrase that's kind of used over and over again um but i apparently what that means is that she's doing sexual favors for men in the private room in various venues um she's an escort it's kind of what's hinted at she's an escort but she's she's not beholden to any one man and that is what gives her power and she's independent and uh, I guess, I don't know, what order do I want to say these things in? It reminded me, what I like about it, my takeaway from the book is that it's just about this feeling of having people in your life who you kind of love and you, you care about a lot or they're just really exciting people that you're close to for a brief period and then they disappear. And you don't know where they are. Um, I really love that idea. I feel that quite strongly in my life. And that's what happens in the book is eventually at the end of the book, she's gone. And um, I think about, uh, I got two people who this reminds me of. Uh, Should I use their names? No, I won't use their names. I won't use their names. I'm trying to be good. Protect people's privacy. We are individual citizens and autonomous and we deserve privacy. (laughs) 
<laughs> or maybe because they live in a society that's a concession that they make as a concession to their privacy and maybe I should don't know. I make decisions and I have this decision to make and I'm not going to use their fucking names, all right? <laughs> Even though I want to. I want to so bad. Um, the first one is a girl who I knew. I met at a party when I was like 15 and we kissed at that party and never again. Um, as much as I, you know, I had a massive crush on her. Of course I did. It's, bro, it's me. You know I had a crush on that chick, bro. <laughs> I remember when we met at this party, she was just, she was that, she was magnetic. And uh, I think she had a fringe in 2005, if you could believe it. And... Uh, yeah, we met at this party and she just had like this way, this kind of detached way of speaking, but very like humorous and funny, but like, you know, almost like ironically funny. Um, and she took me by the hand in my mate's backyard and, and we like, she like led me around to all these little corners. And I remember we opened up the tool shed. She was like, maybe we can go in the tool shed. And, uh, she opened up that and I was just like entranced by this girl, man. And she like opened up the tool shed door and we looked in there like, you know, can we make out in there? And she was like, no, no, we can't make out in there. It's full of tools. <laughs> um, and then eventually we just found this little like a patch of grass and we just made out on the grass and I loved it. I actually haven't thought about that until like this week in – 10 or 15 years maybe we made out on the grass and then we exchanged numbers and we became friends and maybe we talked on MSN there were a few times like I remember once she asked me how big my dick was (laughs) and I like measured and told her and she was like oh that's pretty big and I was like yeah (laughs) I think I had lied to her and told her that it was bigger than it was maybe (laughs) oh whatever (laughs) that's really embarrassing um but uh i remember just a few times that i like memories that i have of her that i just admire how i guess like uh forthright or candid she was with the, the way that she spoke or the way that she rebuffed any kind of hints at advances that I would make. Like I was too scared to ever make an actual move. But like I remember once we were walking maybe just like down a street together or something and I I guess we were walking kind of close and our hands just brushed, which is always a tense moment, you know, if there's ever any tension. And rather than I was scared of that, I wouldn't have said anything. I wasn't going to say anything. I just our hands brush and I would have just walked down the street going, does that mean she likes me? <laughs> But she, I guess, felt that tension and so as a way of just popping the bubble, grabbed my hand and made a big show of grabbing my hand very ostentatiously and like and like grabbed it and gripped it and then like wiggled her fingers around and stuff and looked at me and laughed like, ha, 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 don't worry, I don't want to fuck you, our hands just brushed by accident, here's my hand, there they are, we're friends, great. Um, I always I I think about that a lot. That's probably my most enduring memory of her. I also remember once before Big Day Out in like 2007, we were having pre drinks at my house, 
And uh, she like asked me to tape her nipples down, I reckon, because she wasn't going to wear a bra and she had small breasts and she was just going to wear a top and she asked me to help her tape her nipples down or something like that. I don't fucking know. Do you know what I mean? This is the kind of friendship. But uh, I haven't seen her in years and, you know, we went to different schools and our lives kind of drifted apart. She was always quite hard to get a hold of and uh, I just always like, I just, there was something about her. I don't know what it was. It was just magnetic or, you know, just like when we hung out, it just felt special. She was someone who when I got to hang out with her, like the few times that we really spent like good time together, it just felt special and I felt special because she was letting me in and I feel like she felt that I was a special person because of some of the things that she said to me, even though it wasn't a romantic thing, it still just just felt special. Um so a few, maybe like five or six years ago, I contacted a mutual friend of ours and asked for her address because she's not on social media as far as I know or whatever. I don't know how to contact her. And I asked for her address and I wrote her a letter and I sent it and I never heard back from her and that's it. I doubt I'll ever see her again. Um, Holly Go Lightly reminded me of that person. Another person that Holly Go Lightly in the book reminded me of was uh, a dude who I used to know who was kind of like the unwilling epicenter of this group of friends that I was a part of in Adelaide and then at the time when I moved to Melbourne all these guys kind of moved over to Melbourne at the same time as I did or like a few months before and um, this dude when I worked at the when I got to Melbourne I remember the day like it was him and a few other guys when I was living in Adelaide and kind of lost in 2012 in the months before I moved to Melbourne there was one night when a bunch of us went and met up at the Austral and uh, the Austral, maybe the Exodus, some bar, and we all had ciders, and I drove my mum's car in, and I picked another mate up, and we drove in, and then I had a few ciders, and I shouldn't have drove, but I did, I drove, drove the car home, and um, I just remember these guys talking about what it was like living in Melbourne, like they had all moved over to Melbourne, and I was like, fuck, they just did it, they just moved to Melbourne, and they were all working at this place and they were like, man, come, move to Melbourne. Just come to Melbourne with us, you know. We'll be the boys. We'll fucking do it. It's sick. you got to do it. I remember them talking about Fitzroy and about how it's like, you know, you can just wear whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. It's just, it's just so free. I just They painted this picture of Melbourne. And then when I got to Melbourne and moved into the hostel that I lived in, Melbourne Connection Backpackers on the corner of Little Burke and King, I printed out 60 resumes and I walked up and down the streets of the CBD and then I got to Fitzroy. I looked up where the workers club was because that was where they worked. I remember someone saying that. But I didn't want to message them because I was too scared to ask them for a job. I didn't want to be that guy come to town and be like, oh, can I like, just hang out with you? Like, I wanted to be independent. And I remember walking up to the window of the workers club and I didn't know all the places in Adelaide. There's no bars in Adelaide that like or when I lived there at that time there were no bars that like opened at four like in the afternoon you know like bars either were like oh my god (laughs) a hiccup and a burpee reckons (laughs) um there were no bars that just opened like you know halfway through the afternoon there were either nightclubs that opened in at night on the weekends only or there were pubs that were open for lunch and all through the afternoon um, it was just a new thing for me that like I expected at, you know, 2 p.m. that the place would be open, but I got there and it wasn't. But I remember peering up in the window, like having to kind of climb on 
a bit of the ledge on the outside of the building to get so I could see in the window and seeing like a few people sat around a table in the middle that like they were having a staff meeting. And I reckon this guy who I'm talking about was one of them. I remember seeing him but not knowing what to do because I just had shown up in town unannounced. So I was like, oh, I guess, you know, <laughs> I think maybe I did go there hoping to get a job, but I didn't want to message and ask because I didn't want to be that guy. So I was like, maybe if I just go there, then, you know, they'll give me a job. But anyway, I didn't do that. I ended up walking up and down the street. I got a job at Yaya's, whatever. Um, I did end up working at the workers club a little bit, but this guy was, he was just the coolest fucking guy um great taste in music you know fashion on point all of that stuff and just a good vibe but he was another guy who like you i i had like moments with him where we would hang out together and uh it always felt like i was getting a little bit of time with him you know like we would hang out and and uh he would ask me about stand up and i'd like tell him and he was always seemed to be like you know, interested and like he thought that it was really cool that I was doing stand-up and that I was passionate about it and then I would ask him about what he was doing and he always had some cool like music shit or some weird movie that I'd never heard of or he'd show me videos. He was the person who first showed me the video of Window Liquor by Aphex Twin, if you've seen that. That was the kind of weird, you know, he would just show me stuff. He would just show me stuff that was cool that I'd never heard of. And, uh, but he was the kind of dude that if you tried to pin him down and get too close, you could never get, he'd like, he'd be like, um, you know, not like that. We're not going to be best friends. We'll just be friends, but we're not going to hang out every day. Um, he felt like the kind of enigmatic character that you could never really pin down. Um, kind of like a lump. Well, you know, when you got like a lump <laughs> and you try and put your finger on it and it moves. <laughs> that's my kind of person i like lumps the kind of people i like are like lumps <laughs> they're full of pus <laughs> and this holly go lightly character in breakfast at tiffany's reminded me of that and i actually forgot this but at the start of the book the thing that really sets it up is um the book begins with this guy reminiscing that, you know, he goes, I always go back to, what's the opening line of the book? He says, I al I'm always drawn back to places where I have lived, the houses and their neighborhoods. For instance, there is a brownstone in the East 70s where during the early years of the war, I had my first New York apartment. And then, no, 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 no. And um, the opening few pages of the first sequence of the book is him talking about, uh, getting a message from or getting a, a letter or some sort of communique communique from uh, the bartender in this old neighborhood where he used to go all the time and during the war you know they had a phone and you couldn't get a phone so they, him and this chick Holly Go Lightly who lived in his building would go to the bar a few times a day to take calls and get messages and the bartender would get messages and whatever and this bartender like years later, like I think it's like 10 years later from when it's written to when he's reminiscing about, he um, he goes back there because this bartender has news of this Holly Go Lightly lady that they both knew. And uh, <clears throat> he's like, what do you make of this? And he's got some pictures from someone of uh, it looks like her standing next to a couple of other guys and it's in Africa. And he's like, and there's another, there's like a wood carving 
that also looks like it's her likeness. And he's like, look, man, she's in fucking Africa. I forgot about that sequence in the book because it's not really spoken of. It's just a framing device for the rest of the story. But it's it's him and this guy who they don't really know each other. They're not really friends. They just share this you know affection for this woman who used to live in the apartment building and come to the bar and and it's like the guy who owns this bar he doesn't have a lot of friends but he needs someone to to share this story with so he calls up this guy who used to come in who is the writer and um they go in there and they just reminisce about this girl and and uh you know the bartender kind of says like it has to be her like i'm always looking for her where does it say that it is her yeah he said what do you make of that said joe bell satisfied with my puzzlement it looks like her that's the writer listen boy and he slapped his hand on the bar it is her sure as i'm a man fit to wear britches the little jap knew it was her the minute he saw her that's the person who gave him the thing he saw her in africa well, just the statue there, but it comes to the same thing. Read the facts for yourself, he said, turning over one of the photographs. On the reverse was written, wood carving, S-tribe, Tokakul, East Anglia, Christmas Day, Christmas Day, 1956. He said, here's what the Jap says, and the story was blah, 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 right? So it's that she was in this place and she met this African guy and... and um, and she left and no one else around really knew her, but the picture is clearly her, but with shorter hair and whatever. And 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 kind of becomes clear that the bartender loved her, but not in a sexual way, he just loved her. And, you know, the writer kind of loved her as well. And then he tells this story of just this, it's not really that much of a story as much as it is just him recounting all of the things that he remembers about her. And uh, the way that she was with everyone. One thing that really struck me about her character was she just has this, This is, it feels such a cliche or not a cliche, it just feels kind of mawkish and sentimental to say this, but she has this light inside of her that like they fight, you know, the, the narrator, the writer and her, they, they become good friends but they fight and they're neighbors, but they are friends and they let each other into each other's lives, but she's kind of defensive. She doesn't quite, she doesn't want people to come in, you know, she guards her privacy quite fiercely, but she is though very warm and sometimes they have fights because they overstep the bounds with each other. But always after they have a fight, she's so quick to forgive and she's so warm with him. Like as soon as he's there, she's like, darling, come in, you know, and it just... It's so endearing. And she's like that with everyone. You know, she has, oh my God, where is it? Um, I'm not going to be able to find it. At one point, there's this man, one of the opening things. Oh God, I will be able to find it, I reckon. Oh my God, I need to hold this fucking mic with my other hand. Maybe I should put little bookmarks in these books when I'm going to fucking do these podcasts. But um, there's this part where uh, this guy is like banging on her door at night, you know, he sees her home because he's bought her all these drinks and she's like, okay, good night. And um, uh, she's like, bless you, darling. You were so sweet to see me home. Hey, baby, he said, for the door was closing in his face. Yes, Harry. Harry was the other guy. I'm Sid. Sid Arbuck, you like me. And she goes, I worship you, Mr. Arbuck, but good night, Mr. Arbuck. <laughs> 
I worship you. Isn't that like that level of just, you know, she's getting away from this guy, but she's still so warm. I love you. I Yes, I worship you. Good night. Um, that, that warmth, she has that light in her. I find that so endearing. She's such a great, like you want to like her, you know, even though it's just, it's, it's written, I can picture her in my head. Um, she's this beautiful young woman who people are just falling over themselves to get to know and to try and pin down, but she won't be pinned down through the book. That's the case. She uses these men for money. She tries to attach herself to wealthy men and uh, she gets freedom from that. And um, then towards the end, I'm going to spoilers, by the way. I mean, fuck, if you haven't read it, you're not going to because of this or maybe you will but I'm going to spoil it anyway but it's not still read it because the spoilers aren't the important bit the important bit is the fucking journey but um she uh is thinking about marrying this one really rich guy but then that doesn't work out and then she's like okay there's this other Brazilian guy she agrees she's going to marry him they uh going to fly to Brazil and he's like you know in politics and stuff very serious man and she's going to go with him to Brazil and then she gets arrested for some other whatever I don't need to go into it but she gets arrested for a thing and then he goes well if you're that your name's besmirched I can't be attached to you so no I'm not getting married but she still has the ticket to go to Brazil and so the end of the book is uh, she's there with you know the writer this friend of hers and she's like I'm still going to go I'm going to Brazil um because she's just that's just what I do, you know. And he's like, you sh- under indi- she's under indictment, so if she leaves, she's not going to be able to come back to America. And she's just like, fucking whatever, I'm just going to go because you know, I don't belong to anyone. I'm just a free spirit. And uh, and she has this cat. The cat is kind of this symbol of her free spiritedness because she doesn't name the cat. She just calls it cat. And that's because she does. She I think. The book and the movie are really similar. There's a lot of similarities and I'm getting to the movie, but um, I can't remember whether it's in the book, but in the movie she says, uh, you know, one day the, the reason it's called Breakfast at Tiffany's is because she loves going to Tiffany's and it feels like nothing bad can ever happen to you there. And when she finds a place that makes her feel like a, a home that makes her feel the way Tiffany's makes her feel, then she'll, uh, she'll like buy a bunch of nice furniture and give the cat a name right? Because that'll be home. When she finds the place that makes her feel safe, she'll settle down. And um, yeah, that's kind of like the flip side to her that she's like running from, she's had like, you know, some trauma, some pain in her past. She was like, a, uh, she was like married to this weird man at 14. Her and her brother were running away and her brother is the only person that she really feels close to, but he's in the army. So he's away. So she doesn't actually need to be close to him. All this stuff. And then at the end of the thing, she's going to Brazil, right? She's not going to marry this guy, but she's just going to go to Brazil. She's going to keep looking, keep searching. And uh, she's in the cab and she has this act as a symbol of like, look, see, I don't care. She puts the cat outside the cab and she goes, go on, fuck off, get out there in the rain. And then she keeps driving and she realizes oh my god i've thrown this cat away even though i didn't name him though we were each other's and we loved each other and she says uh so the the narrator says then i made her a promise i said i'd come back and find her cat i'll take care of him too i promise she smiled that cheerless new pinch of a smile but what about me she said whispered and shivered again i'm very scared buster yes at last because it could go on forever not knowing what's yours until you've thrown it away The mean reds, they're nothing. The fat woman, she, nothing. 
This though, my mouth so dry, if my life depended on it, I couldn't spit. She stepped in the car, sank in the seat. Sorry, driver, let's go. So that's her like having this moment of, you know, fuck. If, I mean that, what's there's the line? Not knowing what's yours until you've thrown it away. God, right? You don't know what you got until it's gone. I mean, I, I, yeah, there's, that rings very true to me. And here is where the book and the movie differ. And here is, here is where I, fu- like, I fucking hated this movie, man. I fucking hated it so much. And I guess the reason people like it from some of what I read and what I can tell is people like it because Audrey Hepburn is just a style icon and she looks great and she's independent and and that's all great. There was one article that I read where someone was saying that they reckon all the women who have the picture of Audrey Hepburn up in their rooms, you know, they haven't actually seen the movie or they don't get it or whatever. Um also, fuck, by the way, in the movie, Mickey Rooney plays a, a fucking <laughs> Japanese man and he says, Mrs. Go Right Re. <laughs> Which is just so racist. It's so racist that it doesn't even matter. Like, I mean, who cares? You know, that is fucking, if you don't know that that's fucked, then there's no saving you. And if you do know that that's fucked, well, surely you understand that it's, that's not changing any minds. It's just a, a symptom of, you know, this was 1961 and we got a white guy playing a Japanese man with fake teeth. <laughs> it's so fucking dumb. Uh, <laughs> fuck me. But, um, the ending of the movie that for me changes the whole movie is at the end of the movie, at the end of the book, I'll read the ending of the book in a second, but at the end of the book, she leaves. You know, she's gone. And the guy, they don't have a romantic relationship because they just, it's friendship. But in the movie, in the fucking movie, Whoever the fuck made the decision to make him not a nameless, faceless writer, but a fucking, you know, six foot, whatever, blonde, muscled hunk, and they just have a romantic relationship. What a fucking cop out. They just, you know, at some point, it goes from being this beautiful platonic friendship to like now they just have a, an amazing day together in New York and then they kiss. <clears throat> and the end of the thing, she throws the cat away and then he goes and finds the cat. And they fucking stand in the rain and kiss and that's the end of the movie. And it's just like that is so not the point of the fucking – all right, I'll read the end now. This is the end of the book. Where should I start? Um, oh, maybe I just need to read the whole fucking thing. Um, in the spring, a postcard came. It was scribbled in pencil and signed with a lipstick kiss. <clears throat> Brazil was beastly, but Buenos Aires is the best. Not Tiffany's, but almost. I'm joined at the hip with, uh, with Divine Senor. Love? Think so. Anywho, I'm looking for somewhere to live. Senor has wife, seven brats, and will let you know address when I know it myself. Mil tendresses. But the address, if it ever existed, was, uh, never was sent, which made me sad. There was so much I wanted to write her. 
that I'd sold two stories, had read where the trawlers were countersuing for divorce, was moving out of the brownstone because it was haunted, but mostly I wanted to tell her I wanted to tell about her cat. I had kept my promise. I had found him. It took weeks of after-work roaming through those Spanish Harlem streets and there were many false alarms, flashes of tiger-striped fur that, upon inspection, were not him. But one day, one cold, sunshiny Sunday winter afternoon, it was, flanked by potted plants and framed by clean lace curtains. He was seated in the window of a warm-looking room. I wondered what his name was, for I was certain he had one now, certain he'd arrived somewhere he belonged. African heart or whatever, I hope Holly has too. Now that is a beautiful ending, isn't it? It's like, I don't know where she is. I got this letter. I don't know how to contact her. She's gone, but I hope she's happy. And that's the whole point of the book, right? That it's like these people just come into our lives and they enchant us. They're enigmatic, which is the word that I own. And then they leave and we can't control them or pin them down, you know. They're not meant to be pinned down. They just We just have people who come into our lives and leave and, um, and that doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't, it's not bad that they're gone. It doesn't need to be sad that they're gone. You just wish them well and you just try and enjoy the time that you do have. And, and you know, in the story that he tells about her, they fight sometimes, they make up, they make mistakes, whatever. They're just friends. But in the movie, they fucking kiss at the end and they live happily ever after. And it's like, what the fuck is the point of that? That just, you know, hey, there's great people in the world and and then you get married and at the end, like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> It fucking really upset me, man. I think it's pathetic. I think it's fucking weak. Whoever the fuck chose that ending and to change the ending to one, make the main character not gay but straight and to two, I mean, it's not mentioned that he's gay in the book but you kind of, you know, you know the author's gay. You're in between the lines. But then to two, to make them have a romantic relationship, to need that for it to be a complete fucking story, I think is so weak and not the point of the story. Oh, it genuinely it makes me fucking sick. I don't really know what I'm trying to say here, but I just, I really connect to so much about, maybe this is the last thing I wanted to say was like, I guess just about the breakup that I am going through or have went through. I feel like, you know, whatever. This thing makes me sad the address if it ever existed never was sent which made me sad there was so much i wanted to write her that i'd sold two stories had read where the trawlers were countersuing for divorce was moving out of the brownstone because it was haunted all of these things like it is sad when people leave you know because you share things with people like i thought this when me and my ex broke up that there was still there were so many things that i wanted to tell her because you know it's never finished it's never complete a relationship or friendship or any the connections that you have with people. There's always more that you want to add, but sometimes you don't get the chance to add those things. And that is sad because there are things that you share with people that you don't share with anyone else. There are memories that you create with people that 
you just no matter what, how often you tell the story or whatever, they're shared memories and, and um, when you share them with the person you made them with, you remember other things for each other that you won't remember when you're by yourself. So when you lose that connection with someone, you lose a part of that memory. That's sad. But it's also in the book, in the book... It's happy because you got to have those things and you hope that they're doing okay. And in the movie, you just, what? You just, maybe you guys can fuck. (laughs) Fuck, I hated it so much. (laughs) What? Look, man, watch the movie if you must, but please read the book. I hate to be that pretentious cunt who's like, read the book. You darling, you must read the book. Holly Go Lightly, Holly Go Lightly would read the fucking book. That's what she would do. And if you watch the movie and you like it and you want to be Holly Go Lightly, read the fucking book. Because <laughs> Holly Go Lightly would read the book and that fucking stupid cunt in the movie, the guy, the fucking he wouldn't read the book. He wouldn't even watch the fucking movie. He'd read the spark notes. And, and he'd fucking hand in, you know, some bullshit essay that has nothing to do with anything and he wouldn't get vaccinated either. <laughs> He's just a cunt and I hate him. Oh, God, I think that's the podcast for this week. <laughs> I think that's it. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you have enjoyed it, give me a rating on uh, iTunes. Follow it at Sitting Under Podcast. Maybe I'll do. Maybe I'll do like a little reading of the last page of the book. Spoilers alert! That's a good little bit of content, isn't it? Me reading the last page of Breakfast at Tiffany's. I'll do that as a little bonus content for this week. Follow Sitting Under Podcast at Sitting Under Podcast. On Instagram, uh, go on in, uh, go on iTunes and give us a five-star rating if you like the podcast. Share it with someone that you like, that you think might like it. And read the book, man. Honestly, it's so good. And fucking, I don't know, watch the movie, whatever. Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Um, and have a great week as I'll talk to you again next week. This has been Aiden Jones sitting under a tree. Thank you very much for listening. Peace. <laughs>